You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Now let's, let's be honest. Even if you're a tough guy in the room, watching Buzz Lightyear discover that he might not be the space ranger he thinks he is kind of hits you in the feels. You kind of feel bad for him. I mean, his whole identity is, is wrapped around this idea that he is this space ranger, that he's this guy that's created for a mission. He's equipped with special equipment so that he can be the best that he can be to accomplish the mission that's before him. I mean, he's different than most toys. He's supposed to be able to fly, and he has a communicator, and so he can watch out for the bad guy, and he has everything he needs to be a space ranger until he discovers that he's actually a toy. And maybe the reason that hits us in the fields is because it's a little bit of a reality check in our own lives. Because the reality is, is every single one of us on some level is looking for meaning, for purpose, for significance, for acceptance, and an identity in this world. Every single one of us in our lives is trying to answer the question, who am I? And see, if we're not careful, what can happen is, is we can actually begin to build our identity on things that uh, seem like solid foundations, but in reality, they're ticking time bombs. And see, usually when we begin to kind of talk about ourselves to people, when people might try to discover who we are, but we talk about things like what we do, we talk about our position, the titles associated, associated with us, what we do to earn an income or what we do for a living. So you might say things like, I'm a student, or I'm a CEO, or I work at this company, I'm a salesman, I'm a soldier, I'm a full-time mom, or a full-time dad. And see, the the reason that building our identity on a position, the reason that's a ticking bye-bomb is because one day your boss could walk into you and say, you're fired. As a student, hopefully one day you would graduate. If your identity's wrapped up in a parent, well, one day your kids are hopefully going to move out. Hopefully that's not at the age 32. And see, all of a sudden what happens if you begin to build your life upon your position, what happens when your position changes is you're faced with more than just a transition. Now all of a sudden you're faced with an identity crisis. If I am what I do, then what happens when the thing I do changes? What happens when the thing that I've been doing goes away? Sometimes uh, another ticking time bomb that we build our identity on is performance. Here's what I can do. Here's what I'm good at. Look at how I can perform. And the problem is, is you can't always achieve what you've been achieving. You can't always perform at a maximum level. And so we begin to build our identity on, hey, I'm good at sports, or hey, I can build this, or here's a a talent I have, here's something that that I'm able to do that other people aren't able to do. And really what happens is we begin to say, look at how good I am at a certain area. My value, my worth is based upon my ability. 
And see, if our achievements feed our identity, then we're constantly afraid of failure. You go, hey, I would never want to mess up. Like, what happens if I'm an honor roll student and then I get a bad grade? What happens if I'm a salesman and I go from top of the sales to I have a bad quarter? If my identity is based upon how I perform, then your value and your identity is always in flux as your performance goes up and down. Another thing we tend to base our identity on is our popularity. He likes me, or she likes me, or they like me, or look how many friends I have on Facebook, look at all the people who are with me, or think I'm funny, or think I'm cool. Look at my style, or my swag, I'm in the in crowd. And the problem is popularity is fleeting. The reality is, is you can go from the in crowd to the out crowd really fast. You can go from in style to out of style real quick. And see, if your identity is based upon your performance, all of a sudden your friends on Facebook go down a number and you wonder what's wrong with you and how come people don't like you. When all of a sudden you're faced with a hard decision and you know that there's people that won't like the the decision, you would rather appease them than do what is right. And basing our identity on popularity is a ticking time bomb. Maybe one of the biggest lies that we've been told in capitalistic America is that you are what you possess. That somehow the things that you own signify or define who you are. Like, isn't it amazing that if you watch television, car commercials don't ever talk about the car? They talk about how cool you'll be, how people will view you if you're driving their vehicle. And see, I'm more interested in what's under the hood and what's the warranty look like and the reliability and the crash testing, but that's not how they spin those things. It's if you want to be the top, if you want to be the coolest in traffic, if you want to be known in the parking lot, then you need one of these because you are what you possess. So look at my house, look at my watch, look at my cottage, look at my collection, look at my things. And and here's just a little bit of a truth, right? When people try to show you the things they possess so that you might accept and love them, right? The reality is, is when people do that to you, somebody goes, oh, look at my watch, or look at my car, look at my house. More often than not, you never walk away thinking, that guy is awesome, or that guy is great. You walk away thinking, I just wish I had a little bit of that. And see, the reason these are ticking time bombs is because they're all in flux, they all change. That if we begin to base our identity upon what we possess, how popular we are, our positions in life, our performance. It's only a matter of time. Tick, 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 boom. Till it explodes in our face. And all of a sudden, the things that we've been trying to say, these feed my identity, these define me. When those blow up, all of a sudden, we don't know who we are. We don't know who we're with. 
and we have no idea what our real value is. In fact, I think what I would offer you this morning is this suggestion, is that if you really want to know who you are, if you really want to get to the bottom of who you are, then first you have to know who God is. And then you have to know what he says about you. In fact, maybe a different way to say it is like this. If you really want to discover your identity, you need to know two things. You need to know who you are and whose you are. Like if you really want to be able to stand and say, this is who I am, you've got to be able to answer these two questions. Who am I and who do I belong to? And I think the answer to those two questions define us in ways that are more significant than we even realize. In fact, why the world would try to convince you that your identity is based upon your position, your performance, your possessions, and your popularity. In a culture we live in where we like to believe that we're unique and we're like snowflakes and I'm different than anybody else on the planet, biblically, from a scriptural standpoint, we discover that in the very heart of God, all of humanity is broken down in really to two categories, that it's that simple. And what's interesting about how God breaks down all of humanity into two categories is it's really not about you. It's not really about who you are. It's not really about what you possess. It's not really about your performance or your possessions or what people think about you. In fact, when God puts all the humanity in these two categories, what it really comes down to is, who are you with? In fact, what the scriptures show us this morning is that God sees there's two people, and they're both captains of a team. They're both heads. They're both leaders. And if you're with them, the decisions they've made, the lives that they've lived, actually have more influence over your life than you might realize. And in Scripture, we begin to see that your identity is actually kind of wrapped into who you belong to, or who you're with, or what team you're on. And see, as Americans, we like to read the Bible and think it's about us. We like to think that as we open the pages, we like to read the big stories and go, David beating Goliath, that's me, I'm David. We, we like to read the, the scriptures and put ourselves as the hero in the Bible. And friends, you and I are not the hero of the Bible. While the scriptures reveal truths about us, the scriptures aren't about us. The scriptures are about Jesus they're about the glory and the magnificence of God that we might know who he is, that we might know how to be reconciled to him, that we might be able to fall more and more in love with him because he loves us and is pursuing us. In fact, what we begin to discover is that your identity and my identity is really wrapped into these two categories. And really, they're two questions. Are you in Christ? Or are you in Adam? Now, I know this is a little bit awkward this morning because my name happens to be Adam. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. 
See, when we ask the question, are you in Christ or are you in Adam, the real question is this, who is your father, who is your captain, who is your head, whose team are you on? And biblically, when, when scriptures refer to Adam, they're talking about the father of man. That in Genesis, God creates the world and everything in it, and he forms man, and he breathes breath into man, and he calls him Adam, the first man. And then he sees that it isn't good for man to be alone, so he creates Eve. And God gives Adam the ability to name everything in the garden. When Adam sees Eve for the first time, he's like, whoa, man, she is beautiful. So God created woman. You'll get that later. Whoa, man, woman, you're not awake yet. And what happens is Adam and Eve become the parents of all humanity. In fact, even scientifically, scientists that study DNA would say in every single person on the face of the planet, it can be sourced back to a single woman. They call her Michael, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it now, mitochondrial Eve. They say there's a thread in all of humanity that points back to one woman. And what the scriptures begin to reveal to us is that if we're in Adam, there's some things that come with this. In fact, we'll we'll throw it up on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. Paul says it this way. He says, for as by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. And see, what happens in the garden is Adam and Eve are with God. They know God. They see God. They take strolls through the garden with God. And yet they rebel against him. That when the deceiver comes and lies to them and says, hey, you know why he told you not to eat the fruit of that tree? Is because if you eat the fruit of that tree, then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. And isn't that such a lie? Because God had already created them in his image. And Adam and Eve exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they decide that their way is better than God's way. They decide it would be better if they were more like God than trusting God to be God. And they rebel and they disobey, and the word that the Bible uses is they sin against God. And when Adam and Eve sin against God, sin enters the world, sickness enters the world, separation between man and God enters the world, sickness and death, enter the world. And what God begins to tell Adam and Eve is that because of their sin, there's now a curse. There's a curse that all of man is under. There's a curse that all of creation is under. And see, what happens is every single one of us is born in Adam. Every single one of us is born under the curse. We're born with the sin and the separation. So here's what happens is every single one of us starts on Team Adam. And in Adam, we receive defeat. In Adam, we receive condemnation. In Adam, we receive a sin nature. In Adam, we receive wrath and death. 
and Adam, we receive eternal separation from God. And Adam, you know what we deserve from God? Nothing. Nothing but his wrath, his judgment, and his separation. And see, this is why you don't have to teach kids to be bad. This is why young babies learn the word no first. Like they, they learn the cute ones like mama and daddy, and then it's no. That's why you never had to teach your child to bite someone, because it was just in them. Like you've never had to teach your kid to rebel. It's just in them. That's why we have struggles in our souls that we don't always understand. Why do I struggle with this? Why do I wrestle with this? Why do I wake up in the morning and just feel like punching someone in the face? Because there's a sin nature that is in us. And biblically, what happens is, is we get categorized and says, listen, your identity has more about to do whose team you're on. And, and there's an option number one, and it's in Adam. And what comes with that is sin and wrath and separation and sin nature and eternal separation from God. But there's another option. There's another way. Because what Paul says is, in Adam all receive death. In Adam all receive separation from God in this life and in all in eternity. And he says, but in Christ, in Christ they receive life. And what Paul begins to do is he begins to reveal to us that we can be in Adam or we could be in Christ. In fact, one of the things that happens is we open up this, the first pages of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul begins to reveal to us his identity. And what he says it this way, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, he's going, hey, I'm writing this letter, and just like we would sign a letter, in the Jewish custom, you started with who you were. And he says, I, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in emphasis and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul goes, hey, I want to address everybody who's over here. This letter is written by a guy who's in Christ to other people who are in Christ. So listen, you might be an Adam and you can still read the letter, but really I'm writing to those who have moved from team Adam and who are now in team Jesus. Those who are in Christ. And what Paul begins to reveal is he's going, hey, I want to just speak to you about God and what he's doing in my life. He's listen, I'm in Christ. I have grace and peace in Jesus. So you know what I want to offer you this morning? Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to go, hey, there's one team, one captain, one head who makes decisions that influence and affect everybody, and that's in Adam. But there's another team who has a captain ahead, a leader, and his life and his decisions affect everybody who's on his team, and there's in Christ. And, and since we kind of started with a kid movie, I'll keep with that theme and tell you a kid's story. But when I was a kid, we were always being reminded to turn off the lights. I can just remember it clearly. My parents were always being like, hey, did we buy stock in ComEd? Turn off the lights. 
Now, growing up, we, we, we had a house, we had an in-ground pool in the backyard. And it wasn't unheard of in the summertime for us to just be so excited to get in the pool that we would open the sliding door and just run out the back door and jump in the pool. And I can clearly remember my mom going, you going to close the door or are we going to con- air condition the outside today? I was like, man, relax. What's the big deal? And then I grew up and now my name is on the electric bill. My name's on the NICOR bill. And I walk around my house telling my kids, how come these lights are on? Nobody's in this room. And I begin to tell my kids what I was told. Should we buy a little bit of stock in ComEd? Are we getting some kickback from this that I don't know about? Because we got every light in the house on and we're all in one room. Shut off the lights. Tell my kids the same thing I I was told. Like, why is the front door wide open? The air conditioning's on. Are we going to air condition the whole outdoors? Now what happens is, is we tend to repeat things over and over and over again that are important. And the reason we repeat things over and over and over again is because people forget about them. So while kids might forget to turn off the lights, my kids have never forgotten how to turn on the TV because turning on the TV is way more important than shutting off the light in the room they were once in. And what's interesting, the reason I bring this up to you is because in The New Testament is Paul writes his letters to the churches. He uses the phrase, in Christ, in him, or in the beloved, 216 times. And I think the reason Paul uses that word so many times is because he doesn't want you to forget. I want to give you a little perspective on this. The phrase, in Christ, is used 216 times by Paul. The word Christian applies three times in the entire New Testament. No one had to remind you to use that word. It's only in there three times. But this idea of being in Christ It's like this is so big, this has so much influence, this has so much power, this has so much impact. I think you're forgetting that you're not just a Christian, that's a a great name, but listen, you need to be in Christ. Who are you? You're in Christ. Who am I? In Christ. What's the goal of the church? What are we doing? We want to see more and more people in Christ. You might tell me you're a Christian, but my real question is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And I want you to see the significance of this. I want you to see how Paul says this has influenced his life. And so we're going to spend just a minute in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1 all the way to verse 10. And this is what Paul says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, 
though some have fallen asleep. Well, Paul's saying, hey, as some of those who saw him have now died, although some were still awake, this is written a few thousand years ago. They're all dead now. He keeps going. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now I want you to see what Paul's going to do here. Paul goes, guys, I've been preaching the gospel to you. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he came, that he lived for you, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again. That this is of first importance, that God would die on the cross in your place for your sins. So that you can be reconciled and forgiven. So that you can be born again. So that you could go from team in Adam to team in Christ. And Paul says, not only do I preach this, but I believe this. This isn't just a story. This is my testimony. And look at what he says next. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says the gospel isn't just something I believe. The death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross in my place for my sin so that I might be forgiven, it's not something that I just believe. It's something that is part of my identity. It's who I am. I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul goes, guys, I want to nail this down. I want you to see this. Paul is telling us, just like he told the first writers in Corinth, he goes, I am all that I am because I'm in Christ. I am all that I am because Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sin and he rose again on the third day. That it's not just something I believe. It's something that I believe but now it is part of who I am. Because just as in Adam I receive an inheritance, just as being on team Adam I get some stuff, being in Christ has an inheritance. Being in Christ has some major implications about our life and our eternal destination. So in Adam, I receive death, but in Christ, I receive victory. In Adam, I receive condemnation, but in Christ, I receive salvation. In Adam, I receive a sin nature, but in Christ, I receive a new nature. In Adam, I receive a curse, but in Christ, I receive a spiritual blessing. In Adam, I receive the wrath of God in death, but in Christ, I receive the love of God in life. He says, in Adam, I receive eternal separation from God. But in Christ, I receive eternal life with God. And Paul goes, you want to know who you are? Then start with this question, who do you belong to? 
Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Who do you follow? Whose life are you living for? Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Who you are, biblically, is most defined by who you belong to. Where you will spend eternity is absolutely defined by who you belong to. And in every single one of us, we start on Team Adam. But by the grace of God, in Christ Jesus, we can be born again. See, sometimes what we try to do with the Bible is we try to make the Bible cool and relevant. And so what we try to get away with big words that don't make sense, that seem too old school Baptist or old school fundamental. And there's this big word in the Bible, born again. And so you can't get rid of it. You can't replace it with anything else. John the Baptist shows up on the, on the streets preparing the way for Jesus, and here's his message. You must be born again. Well, why do I have to be born again? Because I'm born into Team Adam. I'm born into the curse. I'm born into the wrath. I'm born into the sin nature. I'm born into the separation. And the only way for me to get off this team, the only way for me to get out from underneath the curse, the only way for my sins to be forgiven, the only way for me to move out from underneath the wrath of God into the love of God is to be born out from the sin, to be born again in Christ that my sins would be forgiven, that my old nature would be erased, that I would be made new, that I would receive the love and the acceptance and the complete love of God that is only possible through Christ. And see, what happens, friends, is when Jesus dies on the cross in our place for our sins, something significant happens. On the cross, Jesus assumes your position in my position before God. So he's, he's on the cross, he takes your sin, your nature, your separation, your wrath, your position in Adam, and he dies. And the reason that he takes it is because an exchange takes place. That when Jesus hangs on the cross and says, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's because in that moment, he assumed your place and my place. And for the first time in Jesus' life, fully God, fully man, Jesus, holy, 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 no sin, feels the curse, the separation, the sin nature, the wrath, and the judgment that you and I deserve. And the reason he takes it is so that we can switch places. So that as Jesus is on the cross in your position, what happens through faith when we believe is we receive the position of Christ. So that when God the Father looks at you or he looks at me when we've been saved by Jesus, what happens is he doesn't see any of that. He sees Christ in us. So he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the holiness of Christ. He sees the nature and the character of Christ in us. 
And see, for us to be in Christ, we have to be forgiven of our sins and born again. And see, this is where we've made this incredibly tricky. And so I want to nail this down for a few minutes this morning and just answer the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? Because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to help us grasp this. He's trying to take the significance of what happens when we get saved, and he's trying to give us some illustrations. He's trying to give us some information so we can grasp the significance, how it changes our identity, how it changes who we are, how it changes our eternal destination. He begins to pen this phrase, you're in Christ. Everything that's good about you is in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. You're adopted in Christ. And he lists 216 things that you have and you are in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? And since we're talking about being in Christ, I think maybe most appropriate is to see what Jesus says about being in him. And as Jesus begins to teach us about what it means to be in him, of all the illustrations he could have used, of all the things that Jesus could have said, he speaks to people that live in an agricultural area, people who have a history of sowing and reaping and harvest and sowing and reaping and harvest. And he uses an agricultural illustration. He goes, you know, what it's, you know what it's like to be in me? And I'll, I'll use this illustration because we'll get it. He goes, think about going to Edward's apple orchard. And you know how you know you're in front of an apple tree? Because it has apples. That's how you know. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't walk up to an apple tree and go, might be an orange tree. Not convinced yet. I mean, this could just be an orange tree growing apples. Maybe this is a banana tree that got confused. The type of tree determines the type of fruit. The fruit doesn't make a decision about what type of fruit it wants to be. The tree and the life that flows through the tree, the nutrients that flow through the tree, the water that goes down through the root system and sucked up through the vines and the branches that goes to the fruit, it determines the type of fruit. And Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine. I am the source. The life, the nutrients, the water, everything you need flow from me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Let's be clear on this, friends. We like to think that we're the important one. We like to think that everything flows through us, that it's all about us. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus is not dependent on you and me. We are dependent upon Jesus. He says that he is the vine, that we are the branches, and he says this, whoever abides in me, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now here's where we get this wrong. And I want to be really careful, and I've been praying and thinking and wrestling, so I want to be really clear on this. 
See, what happens is, is we read a scripture like this and we go to focus on the fruit. Like if you've been around the church for a while, all of a sudden you're thumbing to Galatians 5 and going, the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, self-control. You're going, I just want to be a juicy fruit Christian. I'm just going to watch what I say and I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to try to bite my tongue and be more loving and be more patient. That is not what Jesus commands us to do. Jesus didn't say, go make fruit. He didn't say, I command you to go make fruit. He said, I want you to abide in me. Stop worrying about the peripheral activity and just abide in me. And Jesus begins to use the wording of relationship. He says, you know what it means to abide in me? It's like a branch of a tree being connected to the trunk. That they would be so connected, that they'd be so interwoven that when the root system taps into water and it goes up through the tree, when the nutrients and the life go through the trunk of the tree and it goes out to the branches, he goes, I want you to be like that. I want you to be so connected to me. I want you to be so in tune with me. I want you to be so in relationship with me that, that you wouldn't grow fruit, that Christ in you would grow fruit that God in you would cause things to happen. Jesus wasn't saying, go do. He was saying, come and be with me. Know my heart, know my voice, know my words, know my character. Be so connected to Jesus that Jesus in you, that Jesus through you, the fruit would happen. That what happens in our lives is an overflow of the life of Christ in us. And see, because we think our identity is based on performance and position and possession and popularity, we go, well, I better start kicking out fruit. I better start talking the right way and carrying a big Bible around and show everybody that I have 32 Bible apps on my iPad that I don't use, but they're there. I can memorize the new Chris Tomlin song because that's what Christians do. Jesus goes, I'm not so worried about that. He said, I want you to just be in relationship with me. I want you to pursue me as I pursue you. I want you to meet with me. I want you to love me because I first loved you. <coughs> Excuse me. See, what we tend to think is all of our activity will reveal to people our identity. But the problem is, is we can go do stuff without having a relationship. We can go, I'll go get involved, and I'll get active, and I'll do, and I'll do, and I'll do, and I'll do, and I'll do. Jesus, but you know what you can accomplish without first being connected to me? You know how much you can accomplish without having the life and the nutrients flow through me into you? Nothing. Nothing. So here's my question. Because we're all busy. We all got a million things going on. 
We're all limited on time and energy. We're, we all get 24 hours a day. Nobody gets 26. If you do, write the book. I'll read it. But we're all limited in that way. So here's my question. Why would we try to accomplish things outside of Christ when he says they all amount to nothing? Like, why would you try to go be fruitful? Why would you try to go engage in religious activity when Jesus says, no, just come and be. Just come and be in me. Come and let the life of Christ be in you and flow through you. Let Jesus work from the inside to the outside. Be in relationship. See, for me as a pastor, one of the scariest scriptures to me is when Jesus says that there will be a time when people stand before him and they tell him all the good fruit. We fed the sick, or we fed the hungry, we cared for the sick. Jesus, we did all these things in your name. Man, look at the fruit basket we created with our life, Jesus. It's plump and it's fruity and it's delicious. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. You were never in me. You were active, but not connected. You went through the motions, but you never got off a team in Adam. You never got out from under the curse. You never were reconciled. My life never got inside of you. It wasn't real fruit. See, I want to get really practical. Like at the end of the day, what does it mean to be in Christ? The end of the day, I mean starting today, what would it mean for us to be in Christ? And my friends, there are probably a million things we could list. I'm only going to list a few. The first one is this. If we are in Christ... It means that every single day when you wake up in the morning, you can remind yourself that in Christ you are chosen, you are loved, and you are accepted. Being in Christ means that you are chosen by God, you are loved by God, and you are accepted by God. Now the reason I think that's important is because I don't often wake up feeling that way. And that every day you could remind yourself, because I'm in Christ, I'm chosen by God. It's not in like in fourth grade when we were in kickball and they chose the janitor before they picked me to be on the team. He chose me. He loves me. He has accepted me. In the movie Toy Story, Woody is pretty hard on Buzz. And he wants Buzz to realize that he's a toy and not a space cadet like he thinks he is. And there's this moment in the movie shortly after the video clip that we saw where Buzz has an identity crisis. And he's depressed, and he's kind of filled with doom and gloom, and he's having trouble wrestling with the idea that he's really a toy. And, and Woody comes to the rescue and gives him his perspective on life as a toy. So I want to share with you some words from the wise philosopher Woody the Sheriff this morning because he says this to Buzz. 
He says, look, over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest. And it's not because you are a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy. And you are his toy. See, I think that's what Jesus says to you and to me. That, hey, there's a God in heaven who's chosen you, and he loves you, and he's accepted you. And he didn't choose you and love you and accept you based on your performance, based upon your ability, based on your loveliness, or your qualifications to be chosen, loved, or accepted. He chose you because he wanted you. And he's chosen you, and he loves you, and he fully accepts you because in Christ you're his. It means that God has chose you. It means that you are holy and blameless before God. It means that God loves you completely. Completely. There is nothing that you can do in this moment to make God love you more than he already loves you. And there is nothing that you could do in this moment to make God love you less than he loves you right now if you're in Christ. In Christ, you are fully accepted by God. And so you know what that should do for us? We should be like kids who once lived in an orphanage who had no parents. And a good, good father walks into the orphanage and see, see that one? He's mine. She's mine. Loving chosen, accepted, you're my child. You know what that little orphan child would do? Jump and dance and sing, I have been chosen. I have been loved. I have been accepted. That we can have a life of praise and thanksgiving and worship because God chose us even sometimes when we wouldn't choose us. That God has loved us and continues to love us even though we're not lovely. And he has accepted us freely. And the reason that it's so important that God has accepted you and loved you, has chosen you, is because it leads to the second one. Friends, you and I are free from religion. you got to get this one deep into your soul. You are free from religion and religious activity. Because you are in Christ, it means you are free from trying to perform for God. It means there's nothing you can do to motivate Him. There's nothing you can do to manipulate Him. There's nothing you can do to earn His love, His acceptance, and His desire for you. You can't earn it. He's already given it to you. It means that you don't have to go to legalism trying to be good enough. It means that you don't have to go to religion and try to perform to get the favor and the love and the forgiveness of God. Friends, we will never be able to please God when we are in Adam. Never. But in Christ, God is already fully pleased in you. In Christ, you have been chosen. You have been loved you have been redeemed. You have been reconciled. And see, I want you to see the difference in this. In legalism, in religion, you do things so that you will get. I go to church so God will be pleased with me. I forgive other people so God might forgive me. 
I try to be good, at least better than that guy, so that when God lines everybody up, I'm not at the end of the line. I may be somewhere in the middle of the line. And so I do and I do and I do because I hope to get and get and get. But in Christ, it's not that. In Christ, it's I do because I've already received. I don't do to get because he's already chosen me because he's already loved me, because he's already forgiven me, because he's already adopted me, because he's already made me a new creation, because he's filled me with his Holy Spirit, because I have power within me, I do, I, now I can do. I don't do to get, I do because I've already received. It means I don't read my Bible to make God happy. It means I read my Bible because when I do it, I hear the voice of my good, good father. It means that I don't pray to get stuff from God. I pray because God has invited me that I can go before him at any time in any place and just share my heart with him. And he promises me when I do that, what I always receive is more of him. So I don't pray to get stuff. I pray so I can get more of God. I don't participate in worship gatherings with believers to please God. I do it because it makes me more like him in the presence of other believers. It means I don't use my time, my talent, and my treasure to serve others in the body of Christ so I might please God. It means I use my time, my talent, and my treasure to serve others in the body of believers because when I do that, I am most like Jesus. See, Jesus said it most clearly in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And see, friends, we've gotten that wrong. We've thought, God, if I keep your commands, I must love you. Jesus says, no, love me first. In the process of loving, in the process of worshiping, in the process of pursuing, in the process of allowing Jesus to work in you and through you, you know it'll happen? You'll just become more like him and follow him more closely and therefore obey his commands. But we've tried to obey his commands without first loving him, which is madness. The emphasis that Christ has is abide. The emphasis he has is, I love you so much, I want you to love me back so we can be in relationship. So it means I'm chosen, loved, and accepted. It means that you and I are free from religion and legalism. It also means that we can know the will of God in Christ. That in our lives, probably as a pastor, the biggest question I receive is, what's God's will for my life? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that in Christ we know the mystery of the will of God. So do you want to know what the will of God for your life is? It's to be in Christ. That's his will. Where you are in the season you're in, whatever you're going through, God's will for you is to be in Christ. So if you're poor, live in Christ. If you're rich, live in Christ. If your life is difficult, live in Christ. If you're living on the mountaintop, then live it in Christ. If you're single, then be single in Christ. If you're married, be married in Christ. If you're divorced, be divorced in Christ. 
That God's will for you is to be in Christ in all seasons, at all times, no matter what the circumstances in your life looks like. Which leads us to the very last one. It means in Christ, you are secure. And in Christ, your identity is secure. How we end where we began this morning with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's Paul. Sits in a prison cell. And he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sits in a prison cell. He says, you know who I am? I'm still Paul. I am who I am in Christ. Paul goes, you think being in prison has changed my identity? He goes, I am Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle, no matter my position, no matter my performance, no matter my popularity. I'm still Paul. I'm still in Christ. He goes, I'm sitting in a prison cell, guilty of crimes by a government who is hostile to Christ. But you know what? I'm still chosen by God. I'm still loved by God. I'm still fully accepted by God. Paul goes, friends, I want you to know that no matter where I am, no matter the circumstance, no matter how difficult it is facing death, Paul says, I am still in Christ. No matter where I am, no matter what I have, no matter what people think about me. You know what's really important? Who do I belong to? And Paul says that he is in Christ. So the question that every single one of us, I think, has to ask this morning is this. Who are you? Maybe most important, whose are you? Are you an Adam? Under curse, death, sin, separation? Or are you in Christ? Fully loved, fully forgiven, fully accepted, secure. And friends, if you don't know the answer to that question this morning, we'd love to help you figure that one out. But if you're here this morning and you want to move from in Adam to in Christ, I'd love to connect with you and help you make that switch by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But if you're here this morning and you can answer with 100%, I am in Christ, then here's how you respond this morning. It means when we sing this next song, you sing the next song because you have a good, good Father. You sing like one who has been chosen, loved, forgiven. It means you live your life in all seasons and always in Christ. It means that you're secure even when you feel insecure because your life is in Christ. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.